I want to ask you a question today, and I know you, many of us think, well, I got my Sunday thing, and then the rest of the week, and I'm working. Who are you working for? Who are you actually working for? Take a moment just quietly before God and ask him that question. Who am I working for? Just take a moment. Maybe you haven't got a chance to even catch your breath this week. And ask the Lord, who am I working for? God, speak into our hearts and our minds. Your word is a hammer. It's meant to pulverize any parts of our stony hearts. Your word, God, is like fire. Burn away anything that will not last. Wood, hay, and stubble. God, your word is a sword that rightly divides even our soul and spirit, bones and marrow. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be laid open and I pray through the Holy Spirit that you would speak to us, that you would, you would teach us, that you would um, help us to be changed. Lord, I pray that no part of the king of darkness would interfere with this message. God, that you would be alone praised and you alone glorified and we would know who we are to be working for, who our life is to be centered around. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. So what did God say to you? Are you working for your parents? Trying to make them look good so they'll commend you? Maybe you're working for your boss. If your parents are looking for praise, maybe you're working for your boss so you can get a raise. Others of you are working for your family to provide for them. They've got bills to pay. You have great concerns about that. Maybe you're working to get married. Saving up. Big honeymoon on the horizon. Why do you do what you do? Maybe some of you today are working for yourself. You're working to achieve some financial goals so that you can have an early retirement or a cottage at the lake. Maybe some awesome vacation. Who are you working for? Maybe you just feel like, oh, John, you know what? I'm just working for the bank. I'm just trying to pay off the mortgage. I'm just trying to pay off loans to the credit card companies. That's all I do. Money, money comes in, it just goes right back to pay off that interest. Who are you working for? There was a man named Ezra who got a memo, a letter from his boss. Now, if, if Ezra was living today, he would have got an email. And it would have been flagged. It would have said, important notice. It's one thing to receive an email, a letter from your boss. But it's another thing, as Ezra found out, that this was a letter from also his king. See, it's one thing to receive a letter from a boss who can terminate you. But it's a whole other level to receive a letter from your king who can exterminate you, right? Let's read from this letter from 
the king to Ezra to remind ourselves who we really work for. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ezra chapter 7 verses 11 through 24. You can also Google this. You can look it up on your tablets, your smartphones. Ezra, just Google Ezra chapter 7 verses 11 through 24. And it's really important us to understand whom we work, really work for because so many of us are setting the bar too low. Our sights are too low. We think we're working for a company or for a scholarship or even for our families. And it shows because the payout is paltry when, when your family doesn't treat you exactly how you think you should because you do all these things for them. Isn't that hard? Or when you do all these things for your boss and you're just underappreciated. Or your teacher and you just can't get that four, that, that grade you want, right? So we, maybe we're at the point in our lives where we just, we're frustrated. We're, we hate our jobs, our classes. We're ready to quit. And we're just kind of putting in minimal effort. Can I remind you, maybe you forgot who you're really working for. My prayer for us is today that we would study and obey and teach God's word so that we will become learned in the matters of the commandments of the Lord God and learn who we're really working for. So let's read this, this letter from King Artaxerxes to Ezra, which will recalibrate and remind us who we're really working for. Please stand with, for me, with me for the reading of God's word. And I, wanna, I want you to know that the word of God is for you. It's not just something high and lofty. It's for you. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe, the law of the God of heaven, peace. I love that. The law of the God of heaven is peace. And now I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem and according to the law of your God, which is in your hand. And also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. With all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with the freewill offerings of the people and the priests, vow willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. With this money, then you shall, with all diligence, buy bulls and rams and lambs, with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that have been given you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. And I, Artaxerxes the king, make a decree to all the treasures in the province beyond the river. Whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, requires of you, let it be done with all diligence, 
up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, and salt without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or the other servants of this house of God. This ancient text has still relevance for us. The word of God is for us. It's not just around us. It should be in us. This verse in verse 23 is what we're going to be memorizing for the month of May. We're going to say it twice and then you can work on it at home with your families and small groups. Let's all say this together. Ezra 7.23 Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. Let's say it again. Ezra 7.23 Wherever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. Okay, you can work on that, and uh, you may be seated. After reading this letter, it would appear that Artaxerxes is dictating to Ezra what to do. Amazingly, this dictation was to an immigrant with no status from Artaxerxes, a Persian pagan king, who he calls himself the king of kings. Verse 12. And this king continues to enslave God's people. But then there's a difference. There's a change. Artaxerxes' dictation was to carry out instructions about rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. And this would be like the leader of ISIS, al-Baghdadi, who reappeared on video this week after a five-year hiatus in hiding and saying to all his followers, can you imagine this in Syria? He says, hey, ISIS, I want you to return all of the, uh, the, the property to, to the people that you took it from. And I want you to give all the money back and everything you can. I want you to give it all back. And I want you to go build churches for Jesus Christ. That's what, this, is what, this is what's happening. This would be like what's happening in modern day. This king had oppressed God's people. Artaxerxes was one of the Persian kings who oppressed the Jews. I have a chart that you'll see up here. And here's the listing of all the kings of Babylon and Persia. And the three in red that are the ones that we're focusing on, and on today. You have Darius I. And then you have Xerxes I. Or his other name is Ashuerus. And then there's Artaxerxes I. Artaxerxes was not a kind man. He was a murderer growing up in a culture and family of violence. Now, I know that we've been experiencing a lot more uh, violent crime in Cambridge and in Waterloo, and in fact, across the whole country. Uh, the, the, the crime rates are going up, but it pales in comparison to ancient Persia. Let me just give you a little bit of background about Artaxerxes. 
Artaxerxes was probably born in the reign of his father, Darius I. You can see that on the chart. To the emperor's son, Xerxes I. And in 465 BC, Xerxes I, who was the husband of Queen Esther, Queen Esther is written about, a whole book is written in the Bible about her. Great story, you should read that this week. Well, Xerxes I was murdered by Artabanus, the commander of the royal bodyguard. This would be like the secret service taking out the president, okay? The opposite of what they should be doing. Greek historians give contradicting account of the events. According to Zesis, Artabanus then accused the crown prince Darius, Xerxes' eldest son, of murder and persuaded Artaxerxes to avenge the patricide by killing Darius. But according to Aristotle, Artabanus killed Darius first and then killed Xerxes. After Artaxerxes discovered the murder, he killed Artabanus and his sons. Now, if you didn't catch all this, this is what you just got to remember. Okay? You don't mess with Artaxerxes. You got that? When you grow up with all of your caregivers killing each other, you probably have some trust issues, don't you think? Sure, he was the son of Ashuerus, who gave great power to the Jews due to his marriage to Queen Esther. And this, this probably made Artaxerxes friendly to the Jews, but we already know that, that he wasn't that friendly to them. How do we know this? Look back in Ezra 4, verse 23. We covered this. We studied this um, a little while ago. But I, I just want to get the history of this. Our, uh, Ezra chapter 4, verse 23. Then when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Reum and Shimshay the scribe and their associates, they went in haste to the Jews of Jerusalem and by force and made them cease. In other words, Artaxerxes said, Stop working on the temple. So what has happened? Artaxerxes, who stopped the work on the temple, stopped the work of God, is now having a change of heart, a change of mind. This is akin to your difficult boss having a change of heart and becoming a benevolent boss. Or the government who said no after no after no and then finally they're like, yes! Please, please come. Or even better, think of a pro-abortion politician who starts working at a crisis pregnancy center. Trying to help women choose life rather than end it. You'd think there's like this radical transformation. You'd say, what happened to you, Artaxerxes? In fact, Ezra might be tempted to think that he was now working for this kind Artaxerxes. And I got to tell you today, you and I might be thinking that we're working for somebody else. Some immediate supervisor, some teacher, some coach. No. As my wife has said, we serve at the pleasure of a higher authority. We serve at the pleasure of the king of kings. Now, Artaxerxes thought he was the king of kings, but who's, our, who's the real king of kings? Who's that? Are you sure? It's Jesus. And how do I know this? Well, Jesus is the Lord God. Here's four reasons from Ezra chapter 7, verses 11 through 24. The king of kings commands, commissions, his provision and his protection, all evidence 
that he's the one that we should be working for. I'll say it again. We serve at the pleasure of the King of Kings because of his commands, his commission, his provision, and his protection. Uh, let's look at this closer in Ezra chapter 7, 11 through 24. Look at verse 11. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in the matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. Take notice of the word commandments of the Lord. And then look at verse 12. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest. And then there's an elevation. The scribe of the law of the God of heaven. Last week I talked to you about when you're studying the Bible, when you see things repeated, underline them. Take note. That word, the law of the God of heaven, is something that we need to pay attention to. And then verse 13, finally, it's Artaxerxes who's saying that he makes a decree. It says, And now I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or the priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. We serve at the pleasure of the king of kings because God's law comes before any man-made law. Do you see this? It's mentioning... God's law before Artaxerxes' law. And that's the first thing to remember today. Who do you work for? You work for Jesus Christ. Remember the law of God comes before any man-made decree. Today you may be facing a choice following some decree or dictate that a fellow human has made over you that contradicts God's law. Don't do it. Obey God before men. God's law comes first. Don't compromise your convictions. Serve at the pleasure of the King of Kings. Serve at the pleasure of the King of Kings because of his commands. They're always good. They bring you back to God. Have you ever, have you ever discovered a command of God that wasn't good? I mean, sure, let's be honest. There are times when we get reading God's word and we're like, I don't know if I really want to do this. I don't really like this. That's just because we're selfish and want, we want our own way. But after you've obeyed, has it not brought blessing? Has it not brought you to understand God more, to return to him? That's what the Jews did. They returned to God. They followed his commands. We don't just serve at the pleasure of the king of kings. Because of his commands, though. We also serve because of his commission. Look at verse 14. For you are sent by the king and his counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God which is in your hand. Now again, it looks like verse 14 is saying that it's Artaxerxes that's sending Ezra and his companions. But if you read it carefully, according to the law of your God. What law is that? It's actually a pretty famous law. In fact, some of you have this law written on your refrigerators and in your homes as a Bible verse. It's found in Jeremiah 29, 11. And Jeremiah actually wrote this law 150 years in 605 BC before Ezra uh, is on the scene. And here's what it says. Like, for I know the plans I have for what? 
for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now you know that verse that's on your refrigerator, where it's coming from, where the context is. It's a fulfillment that's found in Ezra. It's an awesome promise. God was keeping his word and sending Ezra and his companions back from the land of exile. And they sought God and God was found by them. And here's some really good news. If you seek God today, you can be found by him and you can find God. Maybe that's why you're here today. You're seeking God. Remember, God's plans are good for you, to give you a future and a hope. Maybe you've been in exile. Maybe you've gone through some really hard times. God still loves you. He cares about you. He has hope planned out for you. And he's the one who sends you. I can't tell you how many times I've gone through hard times and how to do difficult things and say hard truths. And it probably pales in comparison to some of the things you've gone through. But I think about it like, going and visiting people in prison or confronting sin or walking through the valley of the shadow of death as I did this week with the coons as they said goodbye to Ed or really see you later, Ed, right? As Ed was welcomed into heaven because he trusted in Jesus. That was a hard day on Monday. Times maybe others of you have felt like I haven't. You just feel like all hell is against you. You just feel this depression, this cloud over you. What's got me through when I've had to go do those hard things? It's a reminder that God sent me. God sent me to do this work. And you need to be reminded of that too. God sends you into those darkest and most difficult places. He sent Ezra. There's an amazing statement that Jesus makes. See, Jesus is the one who sends us, right? In the end of John, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you, right? Now, Jesus sends us in some difficult places. Jesus makes an outlandish statement in Luke chapter 10, verse 3. And some of you know this, and maybe you haven't thought about it really deeply, but he says this, Go your way, behold, sends out his new, brand new disciples. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now think about that. Take some baby lambs and put them in the center, surrounded by a pack of wolves. Is that not crazy? Would you not question whether the shepherd's good? Unless... The shepherd goes with the lambs. And that's the great truth. That no matter where you go, wherever God sends you, he goes with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You prayed this earlier. We serve at the pleasure of the king of kings because of his commission, because the fact that he has sent us. 
By now you should understand that Artaxerxes was just the most piece of, most, most piece of God. He be, but he became more. Artaxerxes also became a hand of God. Look at verses 15 through 20. He says to Ezra, and to also carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, with all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with the freewill offerings of the people and the priests vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. With this money, then you shall with all diligence buy bulls and rams and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. Just pause there for a minute. Think about that. That would be like, that would be like your boss saying, I want you to go on a business trip to Hawaii. And by the way, um, I'm giving you not just a per diem, but if there's any leftover money you spend, just, just keep it for yourself, right? Just do whatever you want to do with it. Do you see how crazy this is? This is the king who's oppressing the people. And now he's giving them a blank check. Verse 20, And whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. And you know what? If you need even more, here, I have some more for you. This is amazing. The Persian king and his court seems so gracious and benevolent. They're offering up silver and gold and bulls and rams and lambs. And not just from their own money and livestock, but also from anybody else in Artaxerxes' kingdom. He says, by the way, if any of my subjects you come across and you have something you need, just, just tell them that the, the king has sent you and that you need that. This meant Ezra had a free hand to demand what he needed. It's a reminder that we serve at the pleasure of the king of kings because of his provision. Only God can make such a decree. Friends, some of you are struggling today saying, I, I just don't know how I'm going to make it financially. Do you belong to God? Do you think he's going to take care of your needs? Like, are you worse off than an exiled priest in the land of Persia? You're a child of God. He loves you. He's going to take care of you. One of the greatest assurances in this passage is also verse 19. Look what verse 19 says. I, I read it. I, I skipped over that. It says, The vessels that have been given you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. See, there was some worship utensils that were left behind. And Artaxerxes is saying, Hell yeah, don't forget those, those worship utensils that are, are like, the Babylonians took, that we've been keeping, and you can take those back to Jerusalem too. Bible scholar Derek Kinner explains it this way. These vessels may have been some which had been overlooked because Cyrus, King Cyrus had already said, take these, take these uh, items to back to Jerusalem, the first wave of returned exiles. We find this in Ezra 1.7. And I want you to think about that. God protected his worship utensils 
from his own people who hawked them when army enemies, when enemy armies threatened them because of the Israelites were committing idolatry. They were cheating on God. Okay, I, I just I try to explain it this way. This would be like you taking your wedding ring and giving it to your lover and saying, as a bribe, saying, okay, you know what? Um, you can have my wedding ring, just don't tell my spouse. And your spouse actually goes into the house of your lover and takes the wedding ring, finds it, and gives it back to you as a symbol of your love. Do you see how outlandish this is? But it's even further because God even protected the things that the pagans lost. To use the metaphor again, imagine that not only your wedding ring, but your engagement ring was also lost, but the diamond came out of the engagement ring, and your spouse, who's been faithful to you, goes to your lover's house, searches, finds the diamond, gets it put back in the, 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 uh, the diamond ring that they gave you, gives it back to you, and says, I love you. Come and let's be reconciled. This is what God is doing. This is the best kind of metaphor. I mean, this is crazy, isn't it? This is the kind of love that God has for you. No matter what you've done, he's welcoming you back into relationship with you. No wonder why we can serve at the pleasure of the King of Kings. He is audacious with his grace and his goodness towards us. Are you convinced yet who you work for? Or do you want to work for somebody lesser? I want to I just serve at the pleasure of the king of kings. Thank you, Jesus. It's not only because of his commands and commission and provision, but also his protection. This is really important. Some of you told me, oh, I had a hard week. I was, I was fearful for my life today, this week. Look at verses 21 through 23. And I, Artaxerxes, the king, make a decree to all the treasures in the province beyond the river. That's beyond the river Euphrates. Again, it's grounded in history. Whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven requires of you, I love this, let it be done with all diligence. This is where we're getting this working from. Up to a hundred talents of silver, a hundred cores of wheat, a hundred baths of wine, a hundred baths of oil, and salt without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full, for the house of the God in heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute or custom or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or the other servants of this house of God. Artaxerxes essentially created the, the first clergy allowance. He protected Ezra and his fellow priests from any financial repercussions or retaliations. If they had a Persian revenue agency, they had, like the, the, the Persian revenue agency could not at all go after Ezra or his companions, the priest. If they tried, they could say, oh, no, 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 the king told me that you can't, can't come after me. This is an amazing thing. And it's a good reminder. We serve at the pleasure of the king of kings because of his command, his commission, his provision, his protection. 
But there's more and more reason. It's actually the best reason why we work for the King of Kings. You see, he's the only one who could stop God's wrath. Verse 23, our memory verse for May, declares that Artaxerxes, he wants sacrifices and prayers to go up on behalf of him and his, king, uh, his sons. This king of kings still needed help. He was still a sinner. But not our king of kings. Not Jesus Christ. In fact, our king of kings tells us to pray for lesser kings. This passage in Ezra 7 sets precedence for what the apostle Paul, Jesus' followers, one of Jesus' followers says later in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says that we are to make supplications, you know, praying for the God, the God would supply, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions, positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So we need to disobey that right now. I want you to pray by finishing this praise. Lord, because you are the king of kings and you put authorities over us, we pray and, and whatever name of an official comes to you, you pray for that person and pray that they would. So let me begin. Lord, please, you are the king of kings and you put authorities over us and we pray for Prime Minister Trudeau and his cabinet that they would, they would govern with complete integrity. Others, you pray this prayer. Lord, because you're the king of kings. Mm -hmm. Yes, Lord. And Lord, because you're the king of kings and you put authorities over us, we pray for Mary, Mary, Mayor McGarry and the city council and all the city workers and the police and the, the court system. They would, they would govern with justice, with fairness, with mercy. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We can pray these prayers just like Ezra did for Artaxerxes only because of this awesome, awesome truth. Jesus took on the wrath of God upon himself. Look what Romans 5, 9 says in the New Testament. Since therefore we have now been justified. That's a big word. It means to be declared righteous by God. God sees you as perfect. He sees you as righteous by his blood, Jesus' blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We serve at the pleasure of the King of Kings because Jesus died for us. He took the wrath of God that, we, that was aimed at us, that was aimed at me, was aimed at you. And he, we could never have handled this. But he placed it on us. He placed it on himself and not on us. He loved us that much. And now he wants us to remember. One of the reasons why we should have communion frequently is to remember who we're working for. Unless you think that in working for the King of Kings, you're earning your keep, that God owes you, repent of thinking that now. You are kept by Jesus. It's all because of his extravagant grace. 
I love that Artaxerxes decreed that 100 cores of wheat and 100 baths of oil and salt, along with 100 baths of wine, were to be provided for, for with all diligence. Like, do not make, do not make any um, hindrances to this great provision, the king is saying. And you got to remember, I'm a non-drinking Baptist preacher. We talked about 100 baths of wine. So why do I love this so much? It's because it points to the table of the king, the future king of kings. Wheat and oil and salt are used to what? Make what? Bread. Anybody here love bread? I love bread. It's one of my favorites. There's 22,000 liters of wheat that was used. And they didn't even have like big pickup trucks or big trucks back then, did they? Big transport trucks. And 100 baths of oil and wine, that's 2,200 liters of oil and wine respectively. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus used wine and bread to demonstrate to his disciples that his body would be broken and his blood would be poured out for us. Artaxerxes, the smaller K, king of kings, was benevolent. But Jesus, the king of kings, was extravagant in his love for you. He gave his very self. 